You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Amen. Good morning. Glad you guys are here this morning. You can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20. Matthew chapter 28. Most of you, if you've been here regularly, are saying, I think we've made a mistake. We're in the book of Luke. And uh, we are in the book of Luke. We're teaching a series through that book. Yet today is a special Sunday um, in which we do often in order to help us be Christians whose mind has stayed on the world. And I think that we've been doing an okay job at that. My hope is that today um, is the first step in a very important process of getting us to become world-minded Christians. And I mean that very seriously. Today, I hope, is a day in which is a first step in which we turn a corner um, as individuals and as a church to become more world-minded. Not more merely, but becoming regularly. It's normative for us to be world-minded Christians. I've been convicted by the Lord that this is what um, is is lacking in a lot of our lives, and the Lord needs to do work today. I want to tell you as an introduction, as a way of introduction, um, that I love you, that our church, um, the leadership loves you. I want you guys to know that um, we we serve you, we care about you, and and so the reason I tell you that is because I want to tell you when we when I'm preaching regularly or, or someone else on our staff is up here preaching, I want you to know because even though um, it may feel like it sometimes because there's an overwhelming amount of truth that is being portrayed, we are not pushing our own agendas. I want you to trust. Um, sometimes it, it doesn't always feel like it's the truth is what we always want to hear. Like even when you're just reading God's word on your own, you're like, oh, I don't really want to know that or hear that. But I want you to know this is not for an agenda. This is not because we, our church, we have our own flavor of pet peeves. So we'll tell you what ours are so that um, you can conform um, and not uh, do what we think the world should not do, etc. This is not what our goal is. Um, we believe that God has a truth and his word is truth. And because of that truth, we are to study it, understand it, and follow it, obey it as he is Lord of our lives, and so bring glory to him and, and experience what's best for our good underneath his reign and his rule, his lordship in our lives. We understand you are fellow humans with a soul. We have empathy, um, and we know that you have the same for us, and so our philosophy here is not to, to push an agenda of the world, um, but to see you and help you understand God's word, um, the truth of it, what's really here, not what we want to be here, not what we want to be true, but actually what is true, just plain and simple, like if we were just to expose what's really here, no presuppositions, um, no, no predetermined philosophies, just let's come at this thing with a blank slate and see what actually God intended to say, and so that's what our obligation to you is, to serve that, and so I want you to know that, um, the truth is what we need, um, I think even as the Christian culture, we are 
a, a culture, even as Christians, that are void of truth. We call ourselves Christians, but in a lot of ways, our Christianity isn't based on much truth, just based upon what we want to be right and have Jesus at the same time. And so we need to, we need to look at the truth and, and really see what it is, not because we want to push an agenda, but because God is, is God and we want to understand his, his word. Galatians 6, 5 says, really the only thing that matters is faith working itself through love. Faith in what? Faith in the truth. Therefore, we understand and we reach the world from that understanding. Of, of truth. And so I want to tell you that because I, I also want you to know that when we're wrong, when we're rebuked by God's word, when we understand where we've gone off, it's okay. Like, listen, if your faith is in the gospel message of Jesus Christ, it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to realize that I have gone astray. It's okay to realize I haven't done what God has called me to in his world, in his word. And the reason why I want you to tell, want to tell you that is because I want you to be open to God convicting you and changing your life. Um, don't be in an, in an automatic state of denial when you hear God's word and it might be challenging to you. Listen, I want to tell you the difference between legalists and gospel-centered Christians is that for the legalist, failure is fatal. That's why you'll see legalistic Christians um, vacillate between pride, condemnation, um, and, and then accusation, and yet denial and defensiveness when you're wrong. Like, that's because to the legalist, listen, if you're wrong, you're going to always be wrong. If you've made a mistake in your role as a Christian or your leadership, etc., you'll always be that. That's the shame of the legalist. And there's condemnation, there's guilt, there's punishment for that. The gospel-centered Christian comes back and says, my failures are not fatal because there's always hope for change in the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So I look forward to the change. I can readily accept my mistakes. I can readily accept my failures. I can understand that it's okay. It's forgiven, right? Legalism always looks at the letter of the law. Christians look at the gospel. Mistakes are not fatal, right? There's always future hope for change. And so that's what I want you to do because I don't want you to vacillate between accusation and pride and yet denial and defensiveness. I don't want you to live in a state where you always have to defend what you, in your mind, what you feel you've done wrong so far is a Christian. Just stop. It's okay. Accept it. There's freedom in that. Embrace the accusation of failure and say, that's why I need Christ. God, continue to, to change me. The only difference between those who are gospel-centered and the ones who um, are, are the, the legalists is not that we both don't fail in our Christian walk. It's that the gospel-centered Christian is willing to receive that and repent and to make change. That's the only difference. We all fail. We're all just as, as sinful as, as, as each other. The difference is the gospel-centered Christian is ready to accept that and say, that's okay. That, does, that's not, that doesn't disqualify me. It doesn't make it fatal. I'm just going to continue to work with God. And so the reason why I'm telling you all this, I'm not pushing an agenda as well as it's okay if we've failed, we've made mistakes, and we're off, and we can embrace that and allow the gospel to inform our future is because I think that today's message will be pretty convicting for most of us. And so I want you to know I'm not pushing an agenda as well as it's okay if you found yourself in a place of failure in this area. It's okay. Without understanding those two sides of it, we're not going to change. And I want us to change. And today, the area in which we need to change, and I think even some of us repent on our knees, 
is I think we need to move into being world-minded, world-focused Christians. I think some of us need to expand our Christianity from our own lives and simply the people around us into the ends of the earth. We need to be people who care about this, who pray like this regularly, who give all of our funds and say, I don't want anything but Christ to be known to the ends of the earth. How do I make that happen? I want you to be on your knees on a daily basis when you're in prayer, and I want you to pray for people who don't know Christ and other places of the world who you have never met and you praying for them will not benefit you one bit but it will benefit them because they will know Christ I want us to be world-minded Christians and I want to tell you I think there's a misconception in this area and we've been talking about this often as a staff missions has because become something very segmented and fragmented from the Christian life it's something we participate in once in a while, and it's separate. We'll do our Christian walk, our life, our evangelism, our church, and once in a while, we'll focus on missions. That's not the way that the Bible sets this up. The Bible describes the gospel message being true because Christ has come, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried, resurrected, and ascended, and that message needs to go forth and it's not that it is something separate for it to go to the ends of the earth. It's the fact that we as Christians think further about it. Like it starts here and it goes out, but we're simultaneously trying to figure out how to get it further. That's how the Christians should live. It shouldn't be reductionistic. We shouldn't reduce it to, to what we can grasp in a certain category of time in our life. It should be holistic. We should think about this mission everywhere we go all of the time. We want to get it to our neighbor and we want to get it to the lost person in the country that we never heard of and we don't know the name of that person. Listen, this is the way normal Christians live. I want to tell you this is not special. This is not for the super Christian. This is also not once you get to a certain place in your Christian faith. This is for every believer prescribed by God's word, Jesus himself, to think about advancing the gospel in this type of thinking. And I will tell you also that it's not only optional. It's, it's not optional. It's only required. So here's the deal. If we are not world-minded Christians, remember I told you this is not my agenda. It's okay if it's wrong because I'm preparing you for what I know is going to feel like a punch in the gut. If you are not a world-minded Christian, you are living in disobedience. That's the only option because Jesus has commanded this to be true of all Christians, right? I was preparing you because I knew you'd be mad at me as soon as I said that. <laughs> this is the truth. And so we need to be focused like that. We need to become Christians like that. You, don't look at anybody next to you, okay? You yourself need to become a Christian that thinks about the world, the gospel going to the ends of the earth, that's your planning, that's your giving, that's your praying, that's your mission of your whole life. Not, not an add-on to your pursuit of your career and then I'll do that when I can. Nothing will matter once you die and meet God face to face except for knowing Christ and making him known. That's, everything else revolves around that.
And the gospel going forth doesn't just go forth to your neighbor. You, are, you have the gospel, others don't. So it's only logical that your responsibility, because you have it, is to leverage your life to get it further. It's not complicated. It's just simple. You have it, they don't, so you're the ones who give it. And I want us to be Christians who think like this. Listen, let me tell you the greatest need is the unreached people groups around the world. And when I talk like this, I know that some of you kind of clench up real tight and say, I hope he's talking to somebody else and not to me. But what if I'm talking to you? You, you, you. Stop for a second, ready? You, you. There are are people in the world with little to no access of the gospel message whatsoever. What that means is that they're unreached. Unreached is a way in which we describe those who have no access to the gospel. No access. So like when Paul was called on his missionary journeys, and God specifically called some in Acts, he called them to go to places in which there was no access to the gospel. Listen, if you follow his three missionary journeys, right? If you follow all three of those missionary journeys, you see him go into places of the world that did not know Christ. There was no access. There was no way of them knowing there were no Christians there. So like when he went to uh, Corinth, the reason why we have first and second Corinthians, the letters to the churches, the reason why there's even a church there and there's a letter written to the church that's there is because he went there and made Christians and they became a church. The same thing for Thessalonica. The reason why there's letters to the church of Thessalonians, uh, the Thessalonians, the church of Thessalonica is because he made disciples of the people in Thessalonica. Therefore, he could write a letter to the church and tell them how to live for Christ because there are Christians there now. Right? Same thing with Philippi, right above that. If you think about the reason why there's a church in Philippi and there's a letter of the Bible called Philippians is because Paul made disciples of the people of Philippi and wrote a letter later helping the Philippians to continue to live for him. And I want to tell you that right now in our world, there are, we are more aware of more unreached people groups than any time in history. So right now, it looks like we're in even worse case than we were years ago. So let me just give you an example. And I hope that you understand this is for you. Please, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict that this is for everyone. Church, receive this. This is for you. We have to change. One example we understand that there are about 2 billion unreached peoples in the world, meaning little to no access of the gospel. 2 billion, okay? That doesn't mean unreached like your neighbor is unreached. That means the people who have little to no access of the gospel. There are plenty more of unreached in that other respect. Let me give you one example, Turkey. There are 80 million people in Turkey. 80 million. Think about this. 80 million people in Turkey, 6,000 of them are believers in Jesus Christ. 6,000 out of 80 million. What that means is that most of the people 
in Turkey do not even know a person who knows a person that knows a person who knows a person that is a Christian. They will have, they will live their whole life and they will never hear or know or understand anything about the truth of who Jesus Christ is, what he has accomplished, and how to receive the salvation that he offers. Never will they hear of it. And we as believers, you as a believer, are the plan to make that gospel known to them. There is no other plan. There is no other Christian who is further along who has the responsibility. There's no program that will be invented. It's you. And so if every Christian thinks, well, I don't really want to hear that and I don't want that to be true of, of me. I want that to be true of the person next to me. Then it will be true of nobody. And here's what I'm asking today. Would you be willing to begin to pray about whether or not God is calling you to leave all your stuff, to leave all your family, to leave your friends, and to go move to a place in which the gospel is not known? Will you start praying that today? Will you start asking God to honestly tell you whether or not that is what he's calling of your life? If you're not willing to open-handedly submit and pray and ask God if that would be true of your life, then something's off. And we gotta repent and we gotta change. It's okay if that's the current state of your reality, but that's not obedience to Christ. Would you start to pray open-handedly if God would call you to go to an unreached people group? I want to send you. And I will go if that's what God calls of me. But we need to be sending people from this church. And we need to be weeping with hugs and, and kisses and gifts for those who have this, we are saying goodbye to because we are sending over. I want you to know that I'm, I'm in this with you, but we need to be Christians like this. My prayer for my children is that they would come to me one day and say, Dad, God has called me to a place in which it's very dangerous to preach the gospel, and I might not return. But here's where God has called me to go and make his name known. If God would so grant me to have children who do that, I'd be the most blessed man in all the world to have children who die for their faith. I haven't told my wife about that dream yet. <laughs> but I know that's the desire of her heart because that should be to the desire of all of our hearts. That Christ would be made known to the ends of the earth. Church, would you be willing to start praying? And I mean it today. Church, some of you are called to go. All of you are called to pray for the nations because that's God's heart to reach the world because he's the God of the whole world. So we need to at least start there. Everyone is, pray, is called to give. That's why the church exists. You say, well, I don't know how to get 
I don't know how my giving would, what do I do? Put money in the mail and then just send it somewhere, right? That's why God creates healthy churches. So we use those funds to facilitate equipping people who will go to the ends of the earth and we support those who are in other nations. Give to the church, give to our church. That's the way we care about the world. And we will send that right back out when we get it. That's what we do. We're called to pray, to give. All of us are called to do this. Some are called to go. And I wanna tell you that we are all called to be equipped and to equip others to do this. Ephesians 4, why the church exists. Why do you think we say this is the purpose of the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry? That's why we're here. Again, I'm not pushing my own agenda. I am equipping you, saints, how to share the gospel, to, to go, how to think biblically, how, how to teach the word to others, how to receive the word yourself. What to do with your money and your time and your funds to equip you to go make disciples to the ends of the earth. That's why we exist. So that's what we're doing here. And so church, listen, at some point we got to do this. We have to be people who do this. We have to be Christians who do this. Romans 10, 11 through 15. Look at this. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Listen, everyone who believes in his name. They'll receive forgiveness, for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all creation, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If anyone in the most, in the most uh, hidden place in, in the world calls upon Jesus' name, they will be saved, just like your neighbor and just like you were. But... How are they going to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they going to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they going to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet who bring the good news. This is for every Christian. God has been doing this since the beginning of time. Salvific history presents itself in a God who created the world, put his name forth because he created man to be in fellowship with him. Man turned and became his own God, living for himself. God is now redeeming a people to come back under the the shadow of his wings, the shelter of his care, his lordship, his reign, his rule, fellowship with him. He sent his Messiah Christ to reconcile man and God once and for all. And now this message, as it was in the beginning, needs to be put forth to all of the nations, to, to the ends of the earth, just as he was spreading his name in the Old Testament, so much so more now in the name of Christ so that people would believe, repent, and be reconciled back to to God. And so we as Christians need to be the people who are planning, formulating, praying, going, equipping, giving to make this happen. Would you pray with me before we read our passage? Father, we come before you. And you know my prayer for today has been that no one would see this as an agenda. I don't know what we would gain out of this agenda, but this is not our own nonetheless. And God, that we as Christians, because we are not fatalistic or legalistic in the sense where we accuse and damn on the spot and then there is no hope of change, 
Understand that we make mistakes, but the mistakes are not fatal or permanently disqualifying so long as we are willing to repent and change. And therefore, God, I pray that as you convict us by your word today, that we would be open to receive and open to change so that we can be Christians who it's normative for, regulatory for, regular for us to care about the ends of the earth. That we would begin praying that if you would send us, we would go. Here am I. We sing it with all of our might, but do we really mean it? When we say, here am I, send me. That we would be people who are willing to go, people who give of our funds, people who are equipped and equip others to think this way. We talk this way. We talk about evangelism and discipleship this way. It doesn't end with our neighbor. It ends with the end of the earth. That we'd be people who give, who submit. God, I pray that all of this would become true of us as a church. Step one, starting today. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Here we go. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to understand the fluidity of this passage in in light of the whole uh, entirety of Scripture, what God has been doing since eternity past and what he's doing on into eternity future. This passage, I believe, has been fragmented much, broken up a lot to show the specific elements of the passage, but I think it's a lot more simple than that. There's one main thrust here. God is telling his disciples to make disciples, followers, learners, committed people, people under the lordship of Christ of all nations because his truth, it will save their souls and he's accomplished the mission already on the point, uh, on the cross. There's only one point to this and he's telling his disciples to go tell others around the world about what he's done. And so listen, the goal is that we would be world Christians, that we would extend into the world because we have heard the gospel and we have believed in it and we have been forgiven. We will then go and tell others so that they will hear the gospel, believe in it. We will be forgiven and will follow Jesus, that his reign and his rule would extend to the ends of the earth on into eternity. It's not complicated. They're just one simple idea. Jesus is just telling his disciples, go tell more people about this message. That's it. Like, but that's the command. And I want you to see how important this is. So what we see in the scriptures here in verses 16 through 20 is what we typically call the great commission. God, uh, Jesus's gospel conclusion in one sense, like he's done the work and it's done and he's going to ascend and be gone. But it's not really a conclusion as much as it is a beginning for the disciples and going, them going forward. I want to show you how regular this is for all Christians in hopes that you will just think this way simply. 
Like that this is not complicated or fragmented or broken up, but this is just simply what Jesus has said. Go tell more people about what I've done. Make that your life's mission and don't just end with your neighbor. It's got to go to everybody. Like it's simple, right? It's just scary, but it's simple. So what do we see? What do we see in this passage that shows us that this is regular, normative for all Christians, and this is what, how we should think about the world? Well, the first thing in our passage that we see is Jesus' authority and that it extends over everything. So Jesus' authority extends over everything. It extends over all things. That's the first truth that we learn in our passage, okay? Now, what does this mean? Let me just tell you what this means is Jesus is universally sovereign. He is universally in control. Listen, all people, stay with me, all people belong to Jesus, or they should, right? This is the truth. This is what we see. Now, in order to see this, I want to tell you what's happening right before this, okay? Because it's really important. So right before this, okay, in verses 11, look at your text, through 15. Verses 11 through 15, here's what's happening, okay? Jesus has just resurrected and the, the Jewish leaders, they've realized that this has happened. So what they do is they say, let us formulate a plan, a lie, okay? A, a, a way in which we can tell people that this occurred so that they will not believe that Jesus truly is God and he resurrected from the grave. What is Satan trying to stop there? What is the evil trying to stop? What are these religious leaders trying to stop? Ready? The message about Jesus being the son of God and resurrecting from the dead, they are trying to stop that from what? Spreading. Why do you think Satan is putting forth so much effort to stop this message from spreading? Because that's what provides eternal life. So Satan's number one scheme is to stop the message of Jesus, the son of God, his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection from spreading any further. That's his number one scheme. Why? Because people then would turn and repent and believe and come into fellowship with God, and they would make more disciples. And that's what he's trying to stop. And what we see is at the same time, verse 16 now in our passage, is that at the same time, that is Satan's greatest scheme to stop it, it's Jesus' greatest mission for us to spread it. And when Jesus starts here, here's what he begins with. He begins with his authority. Now, leading up to that, what you see in verse 16, look at it, ready? You see Jesus' disciples are there. The 11 are there. What I want you to know from this, because I'm going to go quick through this, is that that doesn't mean that this gospel message and this mission only applies to the 11. Okay, that's not what that means. The 11 were oftentimes used as figureheads, representatives of all Christians everywhere, right? The apostles are the representation of all Christians. And so this is to everybody. These 11 disciples went to Galilee, okay? The very place in which Jesus started his ministry in the mountains of Galilee is the place in which he will finish 
his ministry, alludes to the fact that everything Jesus has taught on those mountains is going to be what the disciples are charged to bring forth to the ends of the earth. And they're probably not on a specific mountain after Jesus resurrected, probably told them, hey, go up into the mountains in Galilee. I'll meet you there. And that's where they are, right? And so what we see is also probably in alluding to the new Moses, who though Moses brought the law, Jesus would bring the gospel of grace, and it would spread to the ends of the earth, not just the people of Israel. And so they're, they're seeing him, and they're there, and what they're seeing, look at verse uh, 17, what, what the, how they respond is after they saw him, which might mean that he was a bit far off for some time. It might mean that he had um, come close right away, but what we see is that he had come to them later in verse 18, so he might still be a little bit far off, is that some worship and some doubted. Now, some of the doubt might come from the fact that they couldn't really um, see him and they didn't know it was him. This resurrected Jesus who's only on the earth for 40 days is still something a little bit new to them, right? We've seen other instances in which they did not um, recognize them. John 21 verses 4 through 8. Michelle, go to the end of that. After this resurrected, Jesus re reveals himself to the disciples. The disciples, um, Peter jumps off, but they did not recognize him. And we see at the end of the verse that it's because he's a hundred yards off. And so that's one of the reasons why maybe some doubted, right? As we see here that because we see it's 100 yards off. Peter, who jumped in the water, man, the dude can swim, right? He swam 100 yards to go swim to Jesus. The rest came in the boat. But this, I don't believe, is the reason why they don't recognize Jesus or that some doubt. It's not because they don't recognize Jesus. It's because what's happening here, listen, stay with me, verse 17, the reason why some of them are doubting is because the peculiarity of what is actually happening. Like, this accounts for the, st the mental and emotional and spiritual state of the disciples. They fully recognize them, but stay with me. Look at this. This whole experience of knowing the resurrected Jesus is a bit unnatural. Like, this is hard. This is mysterious. This is overwhelming. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of uncertainty. They are men of little faith. And so when they see this resurrected Jesus who has come after his resurrection to them, and they say that the, some of them doubt, it's not that they have unbelief and that they're going to turn away for good. It's that this thing is overwhelming. Remember when you first came to know Jesus? And Jesus speaks to you through his word. He's calling you to give up some things. He's working in your life, he's revealing himself to you, and all of it seems a little bit difficult to take in all the time. It's like what we see in John 20, 24, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? That's what's happening. And the reason why I camp on this for a second is because I want to tell you that these are the people in which he's going to send to the ends of the earth. So if you're a Christian who says, I'm not really there yet, like I still got some doubts, I'm just struggling through a few things. And so when I get there, though, like I'm totally willing for him to send me. That's not how it works. In the midst of your doubts, in the midst of your fears, in the midst of your failures, in the midst of the areas in which you need to grow as a Christian, he is still sending you. I, I camp on this because I don't want you to think that this 
comes only at a place when you're in the worshiping category, not the doubting category. This is for you right now. Right now. His grace is sufficient. Right? His strength is made perfect in your weakness. And he's going to use you. He's going to use these disciples even if they're not there all the way quite yet. And so he calls them and some are worshiping, some are doubting. This is the, these are the people he gives the mission to. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. I want to show you this. Look at this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Any believer who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone away. The new is coming. And look, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And he not only reconciled us to himself, but he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is helping other people come to be reconciled to God. Look, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us. So listen, even if you don't trust yourself, even if you don't trust God fully, you have still been entrusted with the message of the gospel. That's your duty as a Christian. And so this is what's happening right now. The 11 in Galilee, the mountain, they saw him. Maybe some doubted. Some, well, they did. We don't know how many. Some worshiped. But either way, verse 18's coming. And Jesus starts with this commission. And I want you to notice, this is red letter. So this is the very words of God, the word of God, teaching us the words from God. And now we're reading about it in what we call the word of God. There is no greater authority. So if you hear these words and you pick up and you say, oh, that was cool, but like, I'm just going to try to forget about it in a little while so I'm not, I don't have to think about it anymore. There could be no greater words that you're ignoring than these. We had to take these things very seriously. This is the word of God speaking to us, the words of God. And so here's what he says, verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, why does he start with that? Well, it's very, actually very simple. What he's saying is that I have sovereign rule over all the nations. I created all the nations. Therefore, all people belong under my reign and my rule and my care. Sin has distorted that, but I have sovereign rule over all nations. Therefore, what is right, the way in which it was designed, was for everyone to be under my sovereign care, enjoying fellowship with me, seeing me rightly as the God of the universe, that they get to enjoy and know and have fellowship with for all of eternity and me caring for them, protecting them from the evil one and, and, and leading them as their Lord and as their king. I have sovereign rule over all the nations. Therefore, it is only right that all the nations, all of them come back under my care. He is first starting with his authority over all the world, which then moves seamlessly into therefore all the world should come back under his care. 
And so he's starting with this, and this isn't anything new. Michelle, I don't know if you can go back up, but Colossians chapter 1, we see that this has always been true of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created, heaven, earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. He created all of these things. Before He is before all these things. In him, all these things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, right? This is Jesus Christ, the one who holds all authority over all things. And this is what he's articulating to us first. This is shown to us from Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. So this is where he's alluding to. In other places, he actually quotes Daniel 7, but here's what is said. Prophecy from Daniel, Old Testament, about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. This is what he's alluding to. It's how we know that the emphasis is on the world. His dominion, an everlasting dominion, it's not going to pass his way, pass away, and his kingdom will have no no end. And so listen, here's what we are seeing being brought front and center, that all peoples, all tribes, all tongues, all nations belong to him. Therefore, everybody should come back under his sovereign rule and care. This is what's happening. This is who Jesus is. And it's not like when you see that, listen, look at verse 16, where it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's not like that he already hasn't had it, but his resurrection finalizes, affirms for us once and for all, he is the son of God. This is no doubt in light of the conquering through the resurrection. He doesn't need anything. He's determined all things and all men are his. Acts 17, 24 through 26. Look at this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself, Jesus Christ, gives life to all mankind. He gives life and breath and everything. This is him. And from one man he made one, uh, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live all over the face of the earth. He's determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. And so what we see is that this is what his mission is because his authority is over all the world. Listen, Matthew six ten. You know when he's teaching us the Lord's prayer. Here's what he's saying. He's saying your kingdom. This is the prayer in which you should pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in, in heaven. What's that meaning? Well, it means that you have reign, rule, authority on, in, in heaven because you are the Lord of all and let that come on earth to the ends of the earth that you would be the king over all people because that's who you truly are. So church, listen, this first point, all people belong to him. Not only the people that you know. Not only the people that you see. All people. He's got authority to the ends of the earth. His aim is to reclaim them back to himself as the rightful sovereign Lord of all. That's the logic. All people belong to him. And it's the reason why we care about the mission extending to the ends of the earth. That's why your mission in your personal life must extend to the nations. Because God is not just the Lord of your neighbor. 
He's not just created your subdivision. They are not the only ones that need to come back under his care. All peoples need to come back under his care. So, you know Christ. Doesn't take much explaining to understand the logic. You know Jesus. You have the gospel. We have the answer. Therefore, we're the ones who bring it to the people who don't know. So, number one, we see that Jesus' authority extends over everything. Number two, therefore, okay, this is, this is now flowing seamlessly right out of that logic. Jesus teaches his disciples to make disciples of all people. Therefore, because his reign and rule is over all the world, Jesus is teaching his disciples to make disciples over all people. Not just some, but all. Look at that, verse 16, or verse uh, 18, ready? He's there, some are worshiping, some are doubting, doesn't matter, commission the same. Verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority is heaven on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, look how seamless this is. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It brings the nations into light when you read it like that. All authority, heaven, earth, ends of the earth given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations because all of them are under my reign or should be and rule. And so the key thing here is that therefore, that therefore is therefore a reason. In light of his authority over all the earth, we are called to go make followers of him over all the earth. That's what we see. Everyone should come back into his sovereign care. All the nations. That's what we see in verse 19. The kingdom of the son of man necessitates disciples over all the nations, over all the world, over all the earth, not just Jews, but Gentiles, right? This is not the first time that we see the Gentiles meaning to be reached. This, this word here, the nations, really alludes to the Gentile region, which what he's telling his disciples is go into, again, all the world, but don't just stay in Jerusalem anymore. Go, right? Matthew 24, 14, look at this. This is what he's saying. This gospel of the, if we want to know what does he mean by make disciples of all nations, like, can you explain that to me? Sure, here it is, very explicitly, ready? 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom, the good news of Jesus Christ and his kingdom will be proclaimed. So that's spoken, shared, preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then he'll come back. It's very simple what he means by make disciples. This is just the equivalent of that. Right. And you might ask, well, what what like what what is happening right now? Like, is that actually happening? Well, here's the state that we're in in salvific history. Okay, here's the current state we're in currently right now. Drop a pin. This is where we are in history right now. God is patiently giving time for people to hear the gospel, to repent and to believe and receive salvation. That's why he has not come yet. That's why we're here in this, right? Christians, because of Jesus' work before that, Christians, patience from God, return. That's how it's working. And I didn't make that up. Second Peter, remember? It's not my own agenda. Second Peter, right? Let's just jump to the end of this, Michelle. Verses one through nine, you can read it later, but look at verse eight. People are asking this question. What's taking your Lord so long to come back? It must not be true. See, I told you, like, where is where's he at? Right? Here's what the response from Peter is. Do not overlook this fat one fact, beloved, 
that with the Lord one day is as of a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slow, meaning him coming back, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's why he's not come back yet because he's giving patient time to people to hear the gospel and be saved. So we gotta be on mission. What he's saying in this next portion, okay? We gotta move quick, we're almost done. This next portion, which is the main thrust of this passage, verse 19, ready? He says, go therefore, because I own all the nations, and make disciples of all nations. Now I want you to notice that there's only one command in this whole passage, okay? And the one command is to make disciples. That's it. That's the thrust of this whole section. Make disciples, okay? So all of this stuff, it shouldn't be too confusing to you. Make disciples. The only thing he's saying is, I have authority over everything, therefore make more believers in me oh, everywhere. That's it. The rest of the stuff just informs us, okay? Going, well, they gotta leave from where they're at to go make this happen, right? Same thing with you. You gotta go next door to your neighbor to share the gospel. You have to go to the ends of the earth if someone's gonna hear at the ends of the earth. Like, you have to go. That just informs that how it's done, right? So there's one command, make disciples. Someone becomes from not a disciple to a disciple, not a believer in Jesus to a believer in Jesus, not trusting in Christ for salvation, trusting in Christ for salvation, not a follower, follower. That's how, that's how, that's making a disciple. And that's through the gospel message, through hearing and receiving and then living for Christ. And so that's the only thing that he's saying. Now, what's surrounding here is also ways in which that's done. Going, and then we see baptizing them. Well, the nations, first of all, is surrounding that. The, gospel, the disciples are not just made of their current context, but of all the nations. And then there's baptizing them. So that's way, one way to which a disciple is, is, uh, is equipped after their salvation, right? Listen, that's also one way the gospel spreads. I think we overlooked that fact. When you are baptized, it's a testimony to, to the world that you are a follower of Jesus. That keeps you safe and it makes you grow because you're willing to come, come out and be public with your faith, right? But it is also a testimony because when you watch us dunk 11 people or 10 people last time we did it, right? When we did that, what'd you say? Man, isn't following Jesus such an incredible thing? I'm so happy for these people. Well, you know what unbelievers say when they see it? Same thing. And maybe they want to follow Christ. So this is to reach the world. There's baptizing, but there's also teaching, right? So he says, go therefore and make disciples, followers of Jesus, of all the nations, because I have authority over them all, and then baptize them and teach them, right? To observe everything that I have commanded, right? And so this is what he is saying. It's very, very simple. I want to show you the simplicity of this. All of these things just help to inform what is being called of us, which is make disciples. And why, while we're talking about it, once he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that literally in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit means into. That's a literal translation of that. So into the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to know who these people are committing to, they're committing to the Trinity, the, the God of, of heaven, who is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is the way people display their salvation. So here's the only command. You ready? Go 
and make disciples. The only command, make disciples. You need to go to do that. You need to share the gospel to do that. We need to connect them to the local church and see them publicly display that and teach them to follow Jesus after they do make that commitment. Church, he's got all authority over all the world. Therefore, it's only right that everyone over all the world comes back under his authority. We share the gospel because the only command is to make disciples. That's your greatest, the greatest command of your life other than to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Because the way we love our neighbor truly is by sharing the gospel with them. And the way in which you help them after that is to be baptized and to grow through his teaching. Now, I want to tell you an illustration. There was a sermon recently by a gentleman named Francis Chan. Anybody heard of a Francis Chan? Okay. Um, he's going to move to China, him and his family. Um, and he preached a message that told people he was going to do that. Anybody see that? couple of you guys, okay? And, um, and so one of the things he said is an illustration that I just really would like to share before we move on to our last and final point, which will be um, quick, is he said he feels like the reason why his family is going because he feels like he's been standing at a pond, okay, his whole life. And now at this pond, there's a bunch of other fishers. He's been fishing at the same pond his whole life. And he describes it as us like Christians. We're all, we've, we've really been standing at this pond for a long time, fishing in the same pond, like people around us, people in America, people that are easy for us to reach. And now there's so many fishermen around this pond. Praise God. There's a lot of fishermen out around this pond. But all that really seems to be happening is that everyone's lines are just keeping getting crossed. And there's just a whole bunch of fighting about stupid things. And we care a lot about things that really don't matter. And we're actually wasting our time. And most of us aren't even fishing. We're just talking to the person next to us. And then you hear about a pond that's about five miles away. That's no one's fishing in. And those fish are ready to bite, just no one's fishing in it. And all it takes is for you to have a little courage to get up and to go to it and to fish in that pond. And he said, well, what would be the reason why you wouldn't go fish in that pond? Well, you wouldn't go fish in that pond if you build a house around that pond that you were at currently. And you had a bunch of friends at the pond that you're at currently. And life was pretty simple around the pond that you're at currently. And really, you don't even really like to fish that much. You just like to talk to your buddies. And if that was the case, you, you, there's no way you would, you would go. That's what's keeping you. And I think it's true of us. And Jesus is saying all the authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He's always had it, but it through his resurrection been from the father bestowed upon the son. Therefore, all people are his and we need to make believers, disciples, followers of all the people. We do that by going to the other pond. And we baptize them and we teach them after we've shared the gospel with them in the name, into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is shown to be very important because Revelation 7, 9 shows us what heaven will look like. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes of the peoples, the languages standing before the throne. That's who will be in heaven. 
all the nations because he has authority over all the people. We need to reach them. Last but not least, number three, what we see in our passage is that Jesus will empower all of his disciples to accomplish this mission until his second coming. I'm just gonna touch on this because we're out of time. Ready? Jesus will empower all of his disciples to accomplish this mission until his second coming. At the end of verse 20, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's what he's saying. Behold this. Like this is the mission. I know you're scared. Behold this. Hold it close. Don't forget this, right? I will be with you. With who? With everybody. Again, reiterating, I'm in control of everything. You mean you're with everybody? How? Well, I'm omnipresent. The Holy Spirit, right? He's being sent. John 14, 16 through 7. And I will ask the Father and he give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But this is the Holy Spirit. He, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's how we know the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us once we trust in Jesus Christ. So this Holy Spirit will help us. He says, I am with you, alluding to him being God. Remember, I am, when he tells Moses, Moses says, well, what if they don't, what if I, like, what if they don't hear me? What, who am I gonna say sent me when I go to the other nations? I am with you right? I'm the one. I'm God. I'm with you. Who are you with? All people. When? Everywhere. Where? where? Everywhere. When? All the time. Like for how long? Till every generation. Again, is universal authority, right? Till when? He says to the end of the age. What does that mean? Until his second coming. That's it. And then you'll get to rest and worship for all eternity in his presence. So we see the universal scope of the mission. Church, let me just reiterate, Jesus' authority extends over everything. Therefore, Jesus teaches his disciples to make disciples of all people. This is normative. And Jesus will empower all of his disciples to accomplish this mission to his second coming. Church, as we close, once again, please, here's the goal, that you would become world-minded Christians. This is normal for you right? That you would pray, start to open your hands and say, God, are you sending me? I'll go. Are you sending me? I'll go. That you would give towards this, that you would pray towards this, that you'd be equipped. Listen, if you want to pray, subscribe to imb.org, right? It'll send you emails that you can be informed. If you want to pray, there's a book called Praying for the World or Operation World, right? Let that be something that you read every day and pray through in your parenting, right? And you're giving, give here. And your language, make that normative as you invest in your disciples. Not that you're just helping them to grow, but you're helping them to grow to reach the nations. Make that normal. We're going to help. We're going to provide you with material. But listen, church, this starts now. It starts now that you'd become a world-minded Christian. Let's pray. Father, we come before you through Christ. And we ask you, God, we know we got a game coming here in just a few minutes. And I know it's real important. I know it's long with the announcement of the Nehemiah Project. But God, help us to not think about anything other than what you're calling of us as Christians today. And let the chaff fall by the wayside. I pray that if we're in here today and this means nothing to us that you would awaken our hearts. Please, I need the awakening just as much as everybody else. Let us be ones who are obedient to the call of reaching the nations. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.